garbage organization, but I can maybe help them out of the gutter. Ping. <laughs> Ping. Veritex Community Bank Studios. It's John and Lance. I wish Lance wouldn't have ruined the game show that was taking over the nation. Good morning, Houston. And welcome to the game show taking over the nation as we find out just how far we can stray from John Granado's scary narratives that almost get us fired every morning. Well, it's not the narratives, it's the comments surrounding the narratives. It's just freestyle comments in general. I'm Lance Zerline, that's Del Olale. Olale, yes. by the way. Olale. Uh, uh, the you didn't let me have a chance to finish the last Meet the syllable. team, Lance. Meet Olale. The team. No. We got Brett with a mustache out there, well, and, the well, intern, and, and Sean. of course Sean Mapes, who's going to pull a double shift, I assume. And uh, flash flood warnings. So... Yeah, Sleep tight. four accidents on 45 on the way here. In the first, like, 15 minutes of my drive, four four people were either... Guys, it's not black ice out there. It's just rain. <laughs> we deal with rain. A car into the median, or, like, one car was turned sideways with their front crushed in with no other cars around it. So I'm like, okay, you crashed into a wall. That's clearly what happened. Because yeah. there was another car, just your front end crashed in, and you turned sideways. Two more accidents, even between... My home in Beltway, and then another one as you get to 45 and 610. It was a mess out there. Be safe, everybody. Be safe, indeed. Uh, we'll start it off right now. We do not have Rockets basketball, but we will later on as Roosh Williams joins us. Well, there is an update on Kevin Porter Jr., but he's not a Rocket, thankfully. Uh, we'll have Roosh Williams talking Rockets basketball with us at 9 o'clock. Mike Mayock, who is calling pro football games, color uh, commentator, former general manager of the Raiders, former NFL Network executives, called games at NBC. You know Mike Mayock. He's going to join us at 7.30. We'll talk playoff football with Mike Mayock and much more. Uh, the big story in Houston yesterday was Billy Wagner falling short of the Hall of Fame, but <clears throat> not by much, 73.8%. So Billy took a pretty big jump up. This is fairly standard. He's got one year left to go. It's do or die time next year. But based on this number, 73.8, it is hard to imagine he doesn't get there. Todd Helton jumped over seven percentage points to make it only three members. Uh, well, the selection committee chose Jim Leland, 22-year Major League Baseball manager. And, uh, and uh, in terms of the players who made it in, first year on the ballot, Adrian Beltre, 95, over 95% of uh, the ballots were in his favor you had Todd Helton making it at 79%. So he jumped up uh, with, you know, with that additional year. He jumped up and, and got into the Hall of Fame, which I think is going to happen with Billy Wagner. And Joe Maurer at 76%, of course, uh, caught with the Twins most notably. And he is also in the Hall of Fame. So three Hall of Famers make the list. Gary Sheffield fell out after 10 years. He got 63% of the votes, so he is out. And uh, New York fans are kind of, or there's a lot of fans, actually baseball, not New York fans, but baseball fans in general, there's a lot of them kind of pissed about Gary Sheffield. Yeah, who does Gary Sheffield I, actually belong to? He's been, he's played for so many teams. Who who do you identify Gary Sheffield as? Is he a 
I know he won no a World Series. No one can be a Marlin. I know he won a World Series with them, but I think he spent like a year there. Yeah, he can't be a Marlin. Yeah, I don't even know. He was a Dodger, a Yankee. Who do he's, we? He's been a lot of people. Who do we I, give Gary Sheffield? To Yankee as far as fans kind of claim him a little bit. Um, he was what Sheffield was Padre early on. Yep. So I, I always think of him with Padres. But um, he did dance around a, a lot, and then he had his championship years as a, he had his championship years as a Marlin. So I don't know. I don't know who claims him, but yeah, we're not got to well, worry about what yeah, Hattie well, wears going to the World Series. Ain't gonna be. I mean, no, in, the, in the Hall of Fame, ain't gonna be, ain't gonna be a thing. I asked this question before the show started as a joke, kind of because I'm I'm a heckler, I guess. But do the current Astros this run of fifteen from fifteen to now, two thousand fifteen to now? kind of erase any emotion people feel about the teams that came before him. Like the Billy Wagner thing, uh, he's very close to making it to the Hall of Fame. He probably will, if the trend continues, probably will make it next year in his final attempt. But is there any emotion behind if Billy Wagner doesn't make it? Like how many people actually care if Billy Wagner doesn't make it? Because he was he was he was really good. He was part of a team who fell short was disappointing on several occasions. And then you have this new era of Astros baseball where sure they might lose in the world series or the, or the division or the championship round, the uh, ALCS most recently to the Rangers, but they have two world series under the belt. Uh, Jose Altuve is the, the connective tissue for, from, for the entire run. Not everyone's been here the entire run, but like when he gets in, it'll be an obvious thing. I don't, um, there'll be others. Justin Verlander, who knows, will probably go in as a Tiger, but he's another Astro who will make the Hall of Fame. Um, that may be the end. Jordan has a long career ahead of him. We'll see what happens there. But Billy Wagner not making it, does it stir up any emotion for you that he that another year he doesn't make it in? Um, I don't know. Man. I, you know, I'm, I am not the person to ask because I, I clearly have some type of bias because, you know, I, I always – we started doing our radio show – uh, the Astros were in the middle of their first, you know, their big run with with Bagwell and Biggio and the Killer Bees and all this stuff. We started doing a radio show, and Billy Wagner was a really great um, reliever and closer, but he, you know, he was a one pitch guy. Well, then he started mixing in some off speed pitches, and he had moments where he was dominant. But he got beat on a hanging slider. I think it was against the Cardinals. Yacked him out of the yard. I remember. And it was like from that point on, he was like, screw it. I'm only going to, you know, his mindset was, I'm only getting beat with my best stuff. Now, I, I was a huge fan of just pitchers. So I was a big Greg Maddox fan, Pedro Martinez. These are guys who, you know, kind of knew how to pitch, right? Billy Wagner was an unapologetic power pitcher. And I was always a little frustrated with with him not, you know, with him not throwing, um, uh, with him not throwing a second pitch. I would say it on the, the radio uh, from time to time, I was really, you know, that was something that bothered me because I thought Billy would be basically unhittable if he had a second, an off-speed pitch. And I remember he did an interview with me and John. I don't really remember this, but John definitely remembers. He did an interview with us, and he got off the air, and we were talking, and John and I, and I said, you know, if, if Billy would just, I just want to see Billy add an off-speed pitch. I think if he had an off-speed pitch, he'd be, He'd be dominant, but all he throws is that fastball, and I think he's really got to add that second pitch. Well, I guess Billy was turned on the radio to 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 hear us talk about the whatever him on the air, and he got all pissed off about that because John said the whole next year he was in the locker room, Billy wouldn't talk to him, and finally John, like you know, John can be a little confrontational. John finally, hey, what's the 
deal, Billy. <laughs> and so Billy, uh, and so Billy told him, you guys are ragging on me. I come on the show and then you're ragging on me. Well, we weren't, it was me. Did John Billy. And throw I wasn't, you under the bus? Did he go, it wasn't yeah, me. Of course. It of was course. Lance. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm the one who you said you it. know wanted Billy to, to develop second pitch. It's not and I was ragging. Just, I was, you... No, I wasn't ragging, but that's how he took it. So I've always had this thing that Billy Wagner could have basically been unstoppable with with a second pitch, and he refused to throw the second pitch. And I think that's created a bias because when I look at these numbers, listen to I mean these numbers compared to other Hall of Famers. There's nine relievers, or there's eight relievers in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, I think there's seven. These are compared to the the top eight. In nine statistical categories, this is why I say, Dell. I do. I uh, he's going to get in, and I think that's great. Um, I've really developed a strong affinity for this Astros team and this Astros culture. To be honest with you, uh, as somebody who grew up with all Astros, brands of Astros, the '80 Astros, the '86 Astros, which were my second favorite, the '90s Astros, we're friends with Lehman, Berkman, and all those guys. When you look at Billy's numbers. It really doesn't make sense that he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Opponent's batting average against number one. Whip, number two. And, I mean, we're talking about he's behind him as Eckersley Hoffman, uh, Hoyt Wilhelm, Raleigh Fingers, Bruce Suter, Lee Smith, ERA, Billy, ERA plus, I'm sorry, Billy Wagner. ERA, or, I'm sorry, ERA plus, Billy's number two to Rivera. ERA, Billy's number two to Rivera. Strikeouts per nine, Billy's number one. Saves, Billy's number four. Save percentage, which is very important to me. Um, it's actually higher than I thought for Billy. It's 85.9%. The highest is Rivera, 89, and then Hoffman, 88. Opponents, OPS, uh, Billy Wagner is number two to Rivera. FIP uh, is 246, second to Rivera. Like, he is second or third in all but one of those categories, which is saves at 422, and that's a duration. That's what team are you on and duration thing. Uh, Lee Smith was ahead of him with 478. No one... No one is close to well Rivera's six fifty two Hoffman Trevor Hoffman six oh one Billy Wagner is fourth at four twenty two. When you look at all these numbers, like just from a statistical standpoint, which baseball is very statistically driven, it almost does feel impossible that Billy hasn't hasn't made it in up to this point. You know, maybe it's generational, but I am interested to see: do people care that Billy Wagner didn't make it in? Do they? Do, are they really cons- not? Maybe not consumed, but are they interested in what happens next year? Because other than like Astro-centric Twitter accounts, where like their whole identity is about the Astros, because that's how they yeah. um, made their branding, at least on Twitter. I don't see made a, their brand. Yeah, like they're Astros Twitter people. Like they tweet, like they'll have an Astros logo of something, and all they do is something. It the is Astros. a little. It yeah, is that's a what I'm talking yeah. about. I mean, it may not even be a person. It, sometimes it's a personal account. Sometimes it's just something that says well, I like think it's an identity almost. Yeah, at this point. Astros, whatever, whatever the name of their account is. Other than those people, I didn't see a lot of like Billy. What? How could they screw over Billy? Not again. I, maybe that's just a baseball thing. People don't get emotional about the baseball hall of fame but if you actually care about the billy wagner thing i am interested to hear from people because i haven't seen it 713-780-3776 it seems like yeah i'm putting it on we've got a we got a team that wins a lot of baseball games now i think a lot more people are interested in josh Hader being an get... astro than being than billy oh, wagner yeah, not yeah, making yeah, it. yeah 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 no so, question like more one closer comes in I, I just the correlation between you getting this big time closer i think people are Far, far I'll, be, shit I'll, that. I'll, I'll tell you, as somebody, like I said, I grew up an Astros fan. I'm in the middle of all this stuff. Grew up my my whole life. I'm only Astros. That's it. Um, it is, I do think, now this has nothing to do with Hall of Fame or anything like that. 
But I do think for me personally, and so I'm not going to be one of these, you know, this is the only the only team I've known. I'm 28 years old. The only team I've really known is this, the good run of the Astros or whatever. Well, really, really bad Astros or the good run of the Astros, whatever the case may be. I've, I've seen it all, and honestly, I think the Astros 2017 and beyond, you could say 2015 and beyond. That's where I like to start it, but we'll just call it 2017 and beyond. It has shined a light on the on the inadequacies or the 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 lack of closing. I don't want to say you know choke or lack of clutch, but it it just makes the other Astros look worse, frankly, because this is what clutch looks like. This is what coming up big looks like. This is what never say die attitude looks like. This is this brand of the Astros really does make the other Astros. It really shines light on the shortcomings of the other Astros. And in many cases, they should have been way better than they were. Some of it was team building. They didn't build the roster correctly with, I think the, I, I, there was just issues with how they were built. And I didn't love that Astros culture too. It was, it was really buttoned up. This is a fun, fun culture, but um, regardless of all this stuff, Billy Wagner deserved to be in. I mean, when you just look at the numbers, Billy deserved to be in. Are people fired up about it? Um, like you said, I think you need to be 40-plus to be fired up, up about it. You have to be. and I think it's a specific segment of 40-plus where you're either some type of historian or – Well, like you, a, were, you were into the killer bees. Like, yeah, that was you, your, your baseball Yeah, because some people, like you've pretty much alluded to or flat-out stated, you've kind of moved on to this version, the team that's giving you success, the team that isn't being smacked around by the Sterling Hitchcock, Hitchcocks of the world, stuff like that. Um, yeah. This team doesn't – now the – the Ranger stuff this past season was tough because you couldn't win a home game, but there aren't the scars built up by those 90s teams and early aughts teams that you don't have those with this team. In fact, you might say that this current iteration has wiped those all away. Uh, so I just don't know if Billy Wagner doesn't make it, although he's on pace to make it in his final year. I don't know how, how, how it'll impact most people because we got this Astro team and their and success and I feel like it just wipes away all that stuff. But I do hope Billy Wagner does make it because even from afar, um, I wasn't here during his prime. He was part of those Astros teams that you would see on ESPN because I didn't get their games. And go, okay, uh, that guy could could shut shut an inning down when he was on. So, um, but the pay, on pace guy says he should make it. Well, he was just straight gas. I mean, that's all he was. Real quick before we get to a break, let's get Cody in here. Wants to uh, answer your question about Billy Wagner. What's up, Cody? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Uh, longtime Astros fan, 37 years old, you know, since the mid to late 90s. And I think with the defense of Billy Wagner, I really feel like, you know, with 2017 and beyond and 2015 and beyond, like you said, Lance, I think with how many good memories this team has instilled in us and also, you know, with the whole cheating scandal and the defense that really the whole Houston community has come around, we just defend this team more than the early Astros and the you know the late 90s, early 2000s, kind of the prime Billy Wagner years. So I really think it just comes down to the good memories and the, no offense, but the better memories that this team has instilled in us and that we've experienced mixed with the uh, kind of the Houston defense of, you know, 2017 and both of our rightful World Series trophies. I just feel like with both of those points, um, it just overshadows Billy Wagner a little bit. And, and I'm a little more concerned with, you know, getting um, getting Josh Hader and being on top again than I am Billy Wagner. And I love Billy, 
love the Astros of old, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the call, Cody. That's kind of where I am. Honestly, it's I think because they've had successes, the Astros have been so successful. Um, you know, if you haven't been as successful, you hang on to every little thing from an organizational standpoint you can because that's your guy. That's your guy. But our organization has had unusual amounts of success and and great moments, like iconic moments. And so, you know, Akeem Olajuwon with the Rockets, not so much. So we hang on to Dream, and there's things like, oh, my God. You know, we, we get mad when Dream isn't considered a top three center of all time. It is a little bit different, I think. And actually, I think Cody said it pretty well. It is a little bit different whenever you, you for for the Astros, when you had this success with 17. Yeah. You guys can look at it. Yeah, I really hope he gets in. That'll be great. Uh, does he deserve to be? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, of course you care more about Josh Hader right now than if Billy got into the Hall of Fame. I mean, to your point, I'll, we, as you mentioned, we've got to go to break. Um, from my own personal view, like Zach Thomas finally making it was a big deal. Like I don't care yeah. about a lot of stuff. But Zach Thomas was a great player when I when I was a kid. The, that Dolphins team's never made it past the divisional round. But Zach Thomas was the linebacker for the Dolphins when I was growing up. So it and it meant more to Dolphin fans of my age because there isn't there hasn't been a lot to cheer for. So you even latch on to guys. I would just put Zach in the Billy Wagner category. Never won a title, but was really good on some good teams. And you go. Get my guy in because what I've what have I been what, able to what cheer else for? You cheering for? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, seven seventeen. We're gonna break it right here. Mike Mayock's gonna join us at the bottom of the hour, uh, but we'll get to your calls. If you guys jump in, we'll get to your calls. We got some other stuff to discuss. Rookies of the year. There's Pro Football Writers Rookie of the Year votes, and we know C.J. Stroud won that. But how did Will Anderson fare against Jalen Carter? We'll get to that when we come back here in a second. It's seven eighteen here on the bench. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. The only sports radio on FM in Houston. Veritex Community Bank Studios. It's time to rejoin the undisputed best sports talk show in Houston. It's clearly John and Lance, except no substitute. All right, John's out the next three days, but Dell's going to be in with me. Uh, Mike Mayock at the bottom of the hour, so we'll make this a quick segment. Pro Football Writers Association of America, uh, they voted for their Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year. Unsurprisingly, it was C.J. Stroud winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. But the battle between Jalen Carter and uh, um, Will Anderson, at least theoretically, has been heating up. And the Pro Football Writers Association took Will Anderson over Jalen Carter. And you know what? If you wait until the end of the year, I think it's an easy decision. If you wait until, and, and I'm, I'm talking about including playoffs, if you wait until the end of the regular season, I still think Will Ander- I think that thing should be maybe Will Anderson a small favorite in that one for the official uh, defensive Rookie of the Year. And we talked about this other name for a while. Um, Kobe Turner yeah. doesn't – it, what, is a clear third, even though you look at him and a how clear the third, but he, he – he, I can he see him finish second? second. Well, yeah, he might be first. Yeah. Kobe Turner's numbers are great. He was part of a Rams draft class that included obviously Puka Nakua, and we had this back and forth yesterday, and John 
surprisingly enough, was staunchly in, in the corner of the Texans as far as who should have the be- who should be considered the best rookie draft class. And some of that is quarterback bias because you draft the quarterback and he plays great, then that helps. But the Lions, the Rams, and and the Texans, that's a top three of of teams who went in went into the draft with needs and found answers. And and the the, the Rams probably did it certainly a different way because. They didn't have the benefit of a first round pick this year, correct? Right. So they uh, did great. Yeah, they found guys later in the draft, and if not for CJ Stroud, Puka Nakua would be your offensive. Rookie Statistically, of you the can year. make arguments for Nakua and for Kobe Turner. Yeah, yeah, and those guys were not first or even second round picks. But as far as Will Anderson versus Jalen Carter debate, I would I'm taking Will Anderson. That that Eagles defense was a sieve. Uh, they they went to they met, went to Matt Patricia, and it got worse for them. Yeah, that so, was all. That's all hype from early in the season when he went up, but Will Anderson was much better the second half of the yeah. season. And the team got strong getting into the playoffs. He played through a high ankle sprain. Like That should be Will Anderson's award. It should be a sweep. The Texans should sweep players, offensive rookies, and defensive, uh, offensive and defensive rookies of the year. Let's get, uh, what is that name? Jason. That's Jason. Jason wants to talk about Billy Wagner not getting the Hall of Fame. What's up, Jason? Well, my grandpa calls him Billy Sinatra because if he threw it right down Broadway, like you said, with that fastball, he was going to hit it out every time. But I'll be honest with you, uh, growing up in Louisiana, we had TBS, so I grew up watching the Braves. But when they come off, Fox Sports Southwest had the Astros, so we started watching the Astros, and that was around the time Billy Wagner was there. Uh, there's a lot of people that deserve to be in it, and there's a lot of people that should be in it. And I think he, you know, based on the stats you threw out earlier, I mean, he deserves to be in there, and he should be in there. So, I mean, other than that, I mean, he he, he was really good at what he did other than having that one pitch like you said. But, I mean, I, I would I mean, I mean, would definitely throw him in there. He should be in there right, based on the stats. For, thanks for the call, Jason. He's going to get in. Like that's why I don't. I can't get myself all worked Hold up. Hold on, fine. The Billy Wagner stuff is fine. But did you get the Sinatra reference? No, no. I just let Sean, it go. Did you get it down Broadway? And then is it the I Broadway like, thing? Kind of. Broad yeah, Street. No, I guess no, he Broad didn't. Street he wasn't was a Broad Broadway Street. guy. Sinatra. He was just a singer. But, so yeah, I don't actually get it. I don't. I didn't understand. I don't know. That's, it took me his out of the dad call, said that. I didn't want to disrespect his yeah, dad. That, that his dad said something about Frank. He called him Billy Sinatra. Because when he threw it down... Because he did it his way. Is that what it that's is? That's probably what it is. Yeah, that's probably what that's it is. What makes it he didn't fun. say that, but you know what? That's probably what his dad meant. He misinterpreted. No his matter what. His dad probably meant that because he was going to do it his yeah, way. Yeah, he's going to throw that fastball no matter what. Yeah. Okay. And it was right. And it, he didn't nibble either. He was throwing as hard as he could and wherever it went, it went. And a lot of times it was down the middle. Thanks, Sean, for clearing that up for everybody. He did it his way. How about your boy Tristan Thompson getting my, a 25? Uh, my boy? What connection do I have to Tristan Thompson? Okay, you want me to take you through it? Go ahead. Tristan Thompson. <clears throat> you have to follow the, the money. Follow here. the money, okay. Tristan Thompson, Kardashian. Kardashian, Lamar Odom. Mm-hmm. Lamar Odom, Lakers. Lakers, LeBron. LeBron, Heat. Sh- no, I, and then, you, bang. You didn't have Del. to do that. You should have just gone Lamar Odom. Traded for Shaq in the oh yeah in the in the in the heat trade yeah the that's heat, a more LA efficient trade. that's you a more efficient that. six degrees yes. of Kim Kardashian yeah can you do six degrees of Kardashian I think you could Are you taking over for Kevin Bacon yeah because we did six degrees of Kevin Bacon but 
the Kardashian. Now we have to just say any Kardashian, and that pretty much like can you get I, the entire sports, sports world is wide open. Yeah, you, in sports, you you can yeah, definitely just, go. Like, but I, I feel like this guy was a teammate of so and so, and then you could very easily okay. The uh, okay, let me try this. Let's try Bradley Cooper, Kardashian. Can you get there? I would generally start with Kendall because she's yeah she's dated NBA players like Ben Simmons. Well, they all have. Yeah, but more recent NBA players. Okay. It helps with my memory. Devin Booker as well. Um, but I, I can't do that because we have to do a dash, but then have Mike Mayock come on. Okay. We don't have time. All right, we'll play this game later. This is the new game that speaks sweeping the nation. Can you connect the Kardashians to, yourself? to people outside of sports? Can you, no, can you I'll, get do, back I'll to... connect me to a Kardashian okay. in six steps. It's, it's going to be really hard. But I will, uh, I'll see if I can connect myself to a Kardashian or a Jenner. Whatever the case may be. Yeah, either one. Uh, 727, Mike Mayock coming up here in about three minutes. Don't miss it. We're going to talk a lot of playoff football and talk your Houston Texans. Um, John Daspit is really good at taking care of people who have been badly injured. There's going to be people, as Dell mentioned, out on the roadways who have accidents. And if it was somebody who, you know, swerved over and hit another person, and, and you already know that goes to the car insurance, right? But if you had bodily injury, uh, where you got banged up, had to go to the hospital, say you had to be lifelighted. I mean, any of that. Do you understand the amount of money that you're going to incur from a billing standpoint? Yeah, and you're going to go after it. You're going to be able to get it through the other insurance company. What are you going to get for your pain and suffering? What are you going to get for the time missed from work? What are you going to get for your physical therapy? What are you going to get for all of that? Well, what John Daspit does and his law firm does is they make sure – that they get the maximum settlements for you in those areas where you deserve that. And that's something that you need to have on your, you need to have someone like that on your side because John Daspot understands that you get one shot at this to make sure that your bills are paid. And if you don't, you're coming out of pocket. And so you, you don't want to go against the insurance company yourself. I promise you that. Um, they'll write you a quick check and you're done and then you have no other recourse. John Daspot has been fighting for people for years. He is one of the top lawyers in the entire country at doing this. He is the biggest in the city of Houston, and he's got law offices around the state. So even if you know someone in a different state that this is, I mean, a different city this has happened to, Daspot can help. 713, call now or go to DaspotLaw.com. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. All your base are belong to us. All your base are belong to us. <laughs> hey guys, Lance Erline here. We're Houston. We're the city of champions. How about I give you another champion? If you suffered an injury in an accident and would like a free case review, call the super team at Daspit Law Firm. They're champions. Free consultations are available 24-7. Dial 713-CALL-NOW. That's 713-CALL-NOW and DaspitLaw.com. John plus Lance equals a damn good start to your day. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's John and Lance. John is out. Dell is with me today. And joining us right now to talk a little NFL football is the old my old friend Mike Mayock, who I have uh, long considered one of the very best analysts in the entire business, a guy that I looked up to with the draft stuff that I've done and, of course, have paid close attention to him over the years doing NFL coverage now, um, color commentary on the playoffs. Was listening to you last week, Mike, and and let's get to well, let's get right into it. Life outside of outside of the the spotlight of I, I am curious. I've never had a chance to talk to you about this. 
going from what you did with NFL Network, going into the NFL with the Raiders, then taking the time off from it. What What is that from an emotional standpoint, a work point standpoint, uh, uh, you know, as you assess your life and, and the things you've accomplished? Like, what was that time frame like for you and then compare it to what's going on, you know, right now? Is, is Are you in a happy place right now with what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one, Lance. And to, to, to kind of boil it down into a short answer, um, you know, the, the Raiders thing was something I, I always wanted to chase. Um, the timing was right for me from a personal perspective. Um, I'm happy I did it. Uh, we ran at it hard. We inherited a four-win team. Three years later, we had ten wins and went to the playoffs and gave Mark Davis his second playoff team in 21 years and and he fired Basaccia and I. Um, and that's okay. It's a tough business. And I think the smartest thing I ever did, and I'm not very smart, is um, after I got fired, I took a step back, and I had three or four or five opportunities to get right back in the league uh, with different teams. And um, I think emotionally I would have loved to have gone, and I, and I think I intellectually I took a step back and said, you need to think about this. You're kind of getting old. You know, you're, you spend 14, 15 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, let's take a step back here. And I'm happy I did. I think it gave me a little better perspective, a little better balance. Um, and now I'm doing games for Westwood One. I'm watching College State as a consultant for some people. So I, I'm getting to do what I love. I'm just not doing it from inside the building. And, uh, Life's pretty good, Lance. Thank you. No, that's great. That's great. I know my dad, the best thing that ever happened to him after years of nonstop high school to college, college to pro coaching, then the grind, the grind, waking up in the middle of the night thinking about blitz packages he had to pick up and all this. The best thing that ever happened to him was retiring for two or three years before he went back to Arizona. The most fun he ever had was his final stint with Arizona where he had he had not only been able to unwind but also – change his perspective of everything. And he said he was just in it to help players become the best they could, make the money that they could to help their families. And it was a truly enjoyable final, whatever it was, five years with the Cardinals, more so than any time that he had had since his University of Houston days coaching. So I think it is important that coaches decompress and, and, and general managers and personnel people because it's – it is the the pressure and strain once you're in the league. I don't know. And college football, too. I don't know if people really, truly appreciate that. I, I thought I did until I got into it, and it's even more than I expected. And, and the story about your dad's awesome, and, and I'm happy for him, and I can I can really appreciate. Um, I mean, some of the, my favorite things about that whole GM experience were the relationships I still have with some of the players and you know, Max Crosby's one of my favorite people in the world. What he overcame personally to become the person and the player he is. Um, I mean, I talk with Max and, and all the time, and, I, and I'm just so proud of who he is and, and where he's going. By the way, before I let Dell jump in, there's a new Max Crosby. His name is Austin Booker. He's an edge rusher from Kansas. I watched tape on him. Blown away. He's only had 505 career snaps. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm watching his tape and his body type, the way he plays. I'm like, this is another Max Crosby. And I missed on Max. I'm not missing on this kid. I put a big grade on him based on what it what it looks like and what he can be. You love that stuff. You do more. You grade more tape than anybody ever. Met oh, that's ridiculous. And Max and Max let me know 
on Twitter that I missed on him, too, by the way. He's got a little edge to him. <laughs> That's great. Mike, we were having a discussion yesterday about team building with this Texans team because of a surprising year where you win a playoff game. And so what's next for this team? And it was between John and Lance. And John was in, in favor of giving up a first-round pick p- plus a player if they could acquire a, an elite wide receiver because he looked around the league and said, elite wide receiver play with, the, with a really good quarterback can elevate you. Lance said, I'd rather use that first-round pick on strengthening the middle. We saw against the Ravens that this team up the middle falls short. Where are you on team building? We know the importance of the wide receivers. We saw what they, what they did for Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and now what even Nico Collins and Tank Dell did for C.J. Stroud. Would you Are you still the traditionalist who says build from the fronts and up the middle, or would you say go get yourself an elite wide receiver if you can? Oh, I mean, it's a great question, and I think I think it really comes down to uh, there's no one right answer. It's, it's based on who you are as a team, where you are in your building, um, what's most important to the head coach and GM that are in that building going forward. I mean, are you an older team? Are you a younger team? If you're talking about Houston, um, you know, the, the first point I would make about Houston is, is nationally, I don't think Nick Casario gets enough credit. And, they, they, you know, the, the Texans have gone through some stuff over the last six, seven, eight years. And uh, this guy comes in and, and he goes through it. I think he stabilized everything. And if you look at the last few drafts, you know, you're one of the more talented young teams in the league. And, you know, everybody wants to kind of focus in on the quarterback and the defensive end, and, and that was great. I mean, that was awesome. That's a home run. But there's also, you know, Juice Scruggs, and there's Hank Dell, and you go back a year, and there's those two defensive backs, Stingley and, and the kid from Baylor, uh, the safety, number Petrie, five. J- Jalen Petrie, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you look on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and, and, and you know, Ken, Kenyon Green, he was a, you know, he, he's starting at left guard. And um, so I think Nick has done a great job. And now he, he, he's in tandem with uh, the new head coach. And, and what a job D'Amico did. I mean, just kind of, kind of amazing to me. And Bobby Slowick's a hot name. So if you're talking specifically about this group, you know, when you, when you start saying team building, um, I've always been an inside-out guy. You know, I believe that, but at the end of the day, what's what draft are you looking at? How deep is the wide receiver draft? Uh, where are you picking? And if there's one thing that I, I – I don't even know how to put this, but, you know, I think where you can get into trouble is to too often draft for need. you got to draft great football players, and as you get better, you can pinpoint more what you want. Um, but this particular draft class is a lot – really deep at wideout, you know, and, and you just have to kind of take a – you, you got to have a really good comprehensive understanding of what's important to your organization versus where the depth of the draft is. I want to talk about culture. I remember your first draft was clearly a culture draft. I mean, you drafted guys who came from winning uh, from winning teams, guys who had football character, uh, things like that. There was something you were very specifically trying to do in terms of the culture of the team, clearly. You wanted winners in there. And the Houston Texans have had a bad culture for quite a while, honestly. And I've never seen a turnaround quite like this. And obviously, C.J. Stroud is a bigger culture guy than I ever realized. Will Anderson's phenomenal. And D'Amico Ryan's 
I think, brings it all together. Uh, can you talk for a second about how difficult – the Texans made it look easy, but I'm telling you, it is extremely difficult, I believe, to really get culture where you need it to be because, A, it takes longer than one year. This is this is not normal at all in any in any sport. But can you talk about trying to change a losing culture? It's It's hard to do. Yeah, I, I don't think the general public has a great appreciation for that. And I, whenever you hire a new head coach or a GM, what's the first thing they do when they get to their first press conference? Is they tell you they're going to change the culture, right? And people have no idea how hard that is to do. And what that really means is that you're establish, establishing a benchmark and you demand it every single day. You can't flip. You can't let things go. There's got to be a benchmark that every rep, every meeting, every practice, every game, everything you do in the building, from from uh, the assistants in the weight room all the way up to your superstar players, have to adhere to. And that's hard to do. And when you change coaches and or GMs every two or three years, it's impossible to do. So... I think it starts at the highest level with, with the ownership. And literally, I, I get frustrated about all the hot, young offensive coordinators becoming head coaches. And I get it. You're trying to put a, a good, young coordinator with a good, young quarterback. I get all of that. But I think what ownership forgets is it really starts with leadership. And leadership's about establishing culture, consistency, levels of discipline, everything. I mean, the head coach and GM set the path in that building, the philosophy. And uh, when ownership changes coaches, GMs, every couple of years, it just derails whatever process you have going on. So you look at the Baltimore Ravens. You look at the teams that win consistency consistently in, the, in this uh, NFL. I mean, the Ravens know what a Raven looks like in the draft. Right, Lance? Oh, like, but you know what a Raven I, I and a Steeler is. Every year you know who they are. Why? Because it doesn't matter as much whether it's John Harbaugh or Brian Billick or Mike Tomlin or, or, or Cower. The scheme changes, but the type of person in that building doesn't. And they demand that. Yep. And then as you, as you get better in your building with who you bring in, then you can take a chance or two on some players because the players will legislate that in the locker room. And... That's part of culture over time. I mean, I could go on for hours and days. I love this topic, and, and I, I, that's another reason I take my hat off to Nick for hanging in there and continuing to try to do things the right way. And, and I think it is worth noting that I know Bill Belichick and the Patriots rightly get a lot of credit for what they built in culture, but the Ravens have been doing it just as long. I mean, the 2000 Ravens, one of the most dominant teams, the culture that was established by Ozzie Newsom, and then, of course, I think, I think, really cemented by Ray Lewis and 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 Ed Reed in terms of this is what being a Raven is going to be from now on. I think that they don't get enough credit. This run, this twenty year run of the Ravens, like, uh, yeah, it was great. Bill Belichick and and Tom Brady, that's that's fantastic. Look at what the Ravens have done the last twenty years, and now you got a chance to win it all, which I think would be. You know, great for DaCosta, who I know you're, you're you're close with, and you know all these guys. I mean, I think the Ravens deserve their due too, and they don't seem to get it enough because they're they've been kind of overshadowed by Belichick and the Patriots. Well, that leads to my question because I think 
because of who their quarterback is and the plot as he gets along with the Chiefs and their quarterback, the rosters themselves, I think, are kind of underrated because, you know, these are perennial MVP candidates, particularly with Lamar being healthy. Mike, do you think the Ravens and the Chiefs rosters are being overshadowed because of who their quarterbacks are? Uh, I think the Ravens always have one of the best rosters in the league, top to bottom. And uh, they're really good on draft day. They always have been, both with Ozzie and with Eric. They're willing to move up and down. They understand value of each pick. Um, and they do their homework on everybody. I mean, I mean, I'll give you an example. They're starting left guard this year. Uh, for every game was John Simpson. They lost the starter last year in free agency, you know, and, and they do their homework on everybody. He was let go by the Raiders. We drafted him in the fourth round. And of course, you know, who do you, who do you think I get a phone call for, from? What kind of kid is he? What do we, you know, I mean, there, there's a thoroughness to what they do that, and a consistency to what they do. Their roster is outstanding. Kansas City's a little different this year. Like, if you watch their offensive tape, and I had them a couple times this year, they're number 15 in the league in points scored. 15. That's way down from where it's been before. And, you know, people talk about the drops, the penalties. I never saw more disconnects between a quarterback and a wide receiver group in my life. Yet, the playoffs come around, and there's some holes in that roster, I think, at, at wideout, you know, and the big question I had going into the weekend was, okay, we know about Kelsey. We know about Rashi Rice, who had a great rookie year. The quarterback is all-world. and But is, can anybody else make a play on that offense besides Pacheco, who's awesome, the run game? But in the pass game, can anybody make a play? And then in the second half, Valdez Scantling makes two huge catches. Yeah. He only had 21 catches in, coming into the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the whole year. And, and they friended. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is so, I mean, he's just transcendental when it comes to, and, and I think the, I mean, and this is another topic. You know, you Buffalo loses, well, they've played seven times, I think, in the last three or four years. It's four wins for KC, three for Buffalo, but, but KC's 3-0 and in the playoffs, and, and Buffalo can't get over that hump. They can't get over the hump. And, and that fourth quarter showed you why. I mean, it was a great football game, and I think the Kansas. I think Kansas City's done a great job. Brett Beach has done a great job. Yeah. I'm a huge Andy Reid fan, but what Brett has done is refueled on the fly, especially in that offensive line where the last few years he's had to make a lot of moves there to protect Patrick Mahomes, and he has. Well, the Trey Smith and, and Creed Humphrey draft. I mean, basically kept that run alive because they really needed interior help. And they're doing it without great tackle play, uh, but the yep. interior's been fantastic. And then he's in a really difficult spot, Veach is, because he's got a window where they're trying to win championships, so he's making na- some now moves, and some of them haven't really worked out. Valdez Scantling, they gave him money, and as you mentioned, Mike, not a lot of productivity. It, it can be hard to to build sustainability when you're also trying to win inside a window. We know that from watching the Astros operate right now. That's a really difficult thing. It's it's easier to do what the Texans are doing right now, just you know, come up and, and just ride that wave. But once you get there, it's harder to stay there because it's win-now moves versus sustainability moves, and it's a challenge to balance it to. And to Brett Beach's credit, I mean, you talked about the O-line. 
Um, the thing that amazes me is the way he drafted in the defensive backfield. Legarius Sneed, holy crap! Legarius Sneed not making the pro, uh, making all pro to me might be the most egregious thing I've seen this year. You could make an argument he's the best corner in football, um, and, and it'll be a fun conversation. He might not be, but he's certainly one of the two or three best corners in, in the league right now. Uh, Trent McDuffie. Uh, he starts outside in base, kicks inside in nickel. I think he and Zay Flowers are going to be really fun to watch this coming weekend. But there's guys in that secondary, like, you know, Shamari Connor. Who's he? You know, a fourth-round pick out of Virginia Tech. They play a three-safety look a lot, which I think you're going to see this week against Baltimore. And this kid makes plays. He's tough. He's always around the ball. Who the heck is Josh Williams? You know, fourth-round pick in 22. Mm-hmm. He's playing the other corner along with Jalen Watson, who was a seventh-round pick. So when you talk about teams drafting down near the bottom, and Kansas City does every year, they've taken draft picks on the third day and turned them into starters that are now making plays for them. And, you know, in the Super Bowl a year ago, these kids were rookies. Now they're second-year players. And, you know, I just take my hat off to that whole Both those organizations, Baltimore and KC, I think are awesome. Man, it's I'll fly you down here, Mike, if we can just uh, get a restaurant. We'll just we'll close the thing down, have some drinks, have some food coming out, and just talk ball. Like, I, I feel like we barely even touch a surface. I've got Caleb Williams questions about this and that, and I, we, got a lot to, we got a lot to do. So hopefully I'll see you at uh, Senior Bowl or Combine this year. If not, uh, definitely look forward to catching up with you. And of course, what game are you going to be on this this week? I'm done. Oh, you're done. Okay, so Westwood's yep. done. Okay, so you're yep. done. So yep. you're, now you're on to the draft. I don't know about that. I mean, I I, I looked at a, I took a good look at the top hundred or so, and, yeah. and that's about where I'm gonna I'm gonna call you. As you know more than anyone, Lance, that the draft is a uh, eleven and a half month a year thing, and that's a commitment, brother. It's, it's a it go is get, a, go get them. It is a commitment. Once you start getting into the 250s and 350s, it's a it's a little different. Well, Mike, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time to do that and great info and intel. We really appreciate it. Always fun, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Right. Hey, so that's Mike Mayock. When we come back, we'll catch up on uh, on some other items. We've already found – Marcus has found how I'm connected. Marcus has found all the connections that we need to – we're connecting to the Kardashians. Is it six degrees of Kim Kardashian? He's found my connection. Is it Kim? I found my connection. Six degrees of Kardashian. I, we're going straight to Kim Kardashian. Oh, the top. We're going straight to Kim Kardashian at 751 here on the bench. Right now, I want to talk about QC Kinetics. Chance for you to get that knee right. What's, what, do you have a knee problem? Do you have a hip problem? Back, shoulder, any joint where you have inflammation, you're going to have pain. And when it gets bad and it's always inflamed, it's chronic pain. And chronic pain is something that can, I don't want to say it's going to ruin your life, but it ruins your quality of life. It ruins your ability when you're waking up in the middle of the night because you can't sleep a certain way. You have to have put pillows under legs and, you know, between your legs and under a shoulder. And when you have to figure out all these different ways just to minimize pain and then you wake up and you're taking aspirin or maybe you're taking pain medicine and you're just looking for your next steroid shot. What's the countdown to my next shot? What surgeries can I have? Most doctors don't like doing surgeries unless they absolutely have to. Well, guess what? You don't have to. QC Kinetics is revolutionary. It's it's regenerative medicine, and what they do is it starts to regenerate and restore damaged tissue. What that now does is alleviate the inflammation so the pain begins to subside, the mobility increases. It's a game changer, and professional athletes have been using it for years. Why can't you? There's four locations right here in the Houston area. 
Go to QC Kinetics and find out how you can change your life for the better. QCKinetics.com. That's QCKinetics.com. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. I'm an idea man, Chuck. What if you mix mayonnaise right in the can with the tuna fish? Hold it. Take live tuna fish and feed them mayonnaise. 